we have a little bit of a sequence in our readings these last couple of weeks. Uh, two weeks ago, we had that universal call to holiness as Jesus invites Peter, uh, Andrew and John, and then eventually Peter, come and follow me, and each of us is called to missionary discipleship. Last week, we had that further call to apostolate and particularly to ministry, as then Jesus calls Peter, Andrew, James, and John uh, to go a step further and come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Uh, and today we have from our second reader reading uh, in St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, this treatment of uh, apostolic celibacy or celibacy for the sake of the kingdom. Uh, and it's really important to understand what this is. This is something that the Catholic Church is one of the last kind of holdouts on understanding the proper role of celibacy for the sake of the kingdom. Many of our Christian brothers and sisters have abandoned this practice in their own denominations with regard to clergy or religious. Uh, and some other religions that may practice it don't do it in the same way we do, with the same understanding we do. So we need uh, a proper understanding of what the role of celibacy is in our faith particularly in the lives of our priests and bishops and our consecrated men and women religious, as well as faithful men and women, uh, laymen and women, who choose to live a life of apostolic celibacy completely given to God. This is uh, a very hotly debated topic, right? There's so much uh, confusion and misunderstanding. The reality of apostolic celibacy is often blamed for the vocation crisis, more about that later. But I, I got into, you know, I had an Uber driver uh, yelling at me just earlier this month about celibacy and how outdated it is and how the Catholic Church needs to change. And we wouldn't have to close our churches if we just got rid of celibacy because it's the root problem of everything in the church. Um, not sin, but celibacy, right? Um, it also is, um, it's so hotly debated. And it also can be something that, leads uh, on the flip side, not blaming it for all the problems, but it can, if we're not careful, lead to a type of misunderstanding or even pitying of our priests and religious, right? Poor, poor Father Casey. Like, he's so celibate and so alone. And he, you know, what is he, he's probably bored out of his mind. What does he do all day, right? Poor, poor celibate Father Casey. I have friends uh, at another assignment that I actually used that to my advantage, right? Anytime I needed them to do something, I'd be like, yeah, hey, Matt, it's poor, celibate, Father Casey. I need help with this major project that's going to take, like, three weekends of your life. You know, it's, if you say no, it's okay, but, like, I am celibate and poor. And so, um, you know, it's just you're abandoning me if you don't help. And, it, um, you know, it, there could be a misunderstanding where we pity those who live lives totally dedicated to God. We, we feel bad for them. And then it can be misunderstood on the part of those living it, right? Those that are committed to a life of chaste celibacy. Because celibacy is not just being a permanent bachelor, right? It's not just being a bachelor. And we maybe in the past have had too many priests uh, and bishops and religious that live like bachelors, that they, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, no one tells me what to do, right? 
I can eat whatever I want. I can go where I want. I am a total, I'm a free man, right? Uh, no ball and chain hair. But it, um, like, no, that's, that's bad, right? We, that is a bad, uh, it's a bad understanding of marriage and a bad understanding of celibacy. That's, that's not good. So we need a right understanding. And St. Paul today in that letter to the Corinthians helps us understand it. Now here's, here's the first point. This is how you have to understand it right. Marriage is good, right? Marriage is good. Human sexuality is good. It's created by God and it is good, right? Marriage is a good and sanctifying vocation. The gift of human sexuality is good, given to us by God. God created humanity. He created Adam and Eve, that first married couple in the garden. And God looked and said, this is very good. So marriage isn't a sin, right? And it's not like marriage is something that you just, you people, you, you do it if you have to, we'll tolerate it. Like you can get married if you really have to, but uh, it's tolerance, right? No, marriage is good. It's a path to real radical holiness. And for those that are called to live out their holiness in the married state, that is a good and necessary thing. It's a necessary thing. Right? If we had no marriage, we had no procreation, humanity would be dead in the next 80 to 100 years. We'd all be gone, right? Let me tell you, uh, I'm very grateful that my parents weren't called to apostolic celibacy. Like, I'm happy to be here, happy to be alive. It's not for everyone, but there are some who are called, who are called to live a life of giving that good, right, giving the good of marriage, giving the good of sexual love entirely over to God. To make a sac we sacrifice things that are good. We don't sacrifice what's bad. We reject what's bad. We make a sacrifice of even what is good. And so the church's teaching on the goodness of a life given over entirely to apostolic celibacy for the kingdom is not a rejection of the good of marriage and married love. Rather, it's saying this is a good which when called to by God, it is good for someone to decide to freely offer this in sacrifice, to offer this to Almighty God. And so that is the, the sacrifice of celibacy. Not sacrifice like, oh, again, poor me, my sacrifice, right? Um, no, but rather saying, here is a good. And out of an overwhelming love for Almighty God, in a generous response to God who is generous to us, right? I'm willing to give this back. I'm willing to give this to God. And for those who are called to that, that is a very good gift, right? That is a gift worth giving. That is a, a sacrifice worth making. It's sacrificing a natural good, the natural good of marriage, spousal love, family, natural parenthood for a supernatural good of a life dedicated entirely to love of God and to spiritual fatherhood and to apostolic availability. This is a good. It's a good sacrifice to make. And it's a, it's a big sacrifice, right? It's a good, big sacrifice. 
And we see that when there are those that are called to make certain sacrifices in the Gospels, when they do, they first of all find overwhelming joy, but we, we should applaud these things, right? The rich young man was called to make a big sacrifice, and he rejected it, and he went away, we heard, sad. He went away sad because God called him to, to this type of generosity, and he, he couldn't handle it, and he went away sad. But then we see, like, in the Acts of the Apostles, we hear people sell their entire property, and they donate the money of that entirely, putting it at the feet of the apostles for the upbuilding of the church, right? Now, look, if I, you know, if someone, I, well, what personal property do I have? You can have my Chevy Malibu, but like that, you know, if someone here were to sell their house and all of their possessions and really downsize and say, we are giving this entire, we are giving it to the church. Here you go, Father Casey, a check for over a million dollars, a couple hundred thousand dollars, whatever it may be. I'd be like, whoa, hold that. Like, that's a big, it's a, I think, you know, amen. If you're making it as a sacrifice to God, amen. Well, all the more so with the gift of someone's sexuality and the gift of uh, the possibility of married love. It's a big sacrifice, but it's good. And when someone does it, we should applaud that as the church. We shouldn't try to change the rules, right? We shouldn't try to water it down. We should applaud that. We should, we should embrace it. We should want it. We should encourage it. If someone else is called to this gift, we should encourage that, right? We, should want, we want that as the church. It's a better, richer sacrifice. Sacrificing natural goods for supernatural goods. And particularly in today's world, to live a life committed to apostolic celibacy is to directly confront the lie of the sexual revolution that human beings cannot be happy without immediate and constant sexual gratification. That is a lie that has been absolutely fed into our culture and society at every level, and the fact that in our church, we still value this sacrifice we still value and say, no, it's not through the lies and the false promises of the sexual revolution, but rather it's through being filled by God alone and God first that humanity finds true happiness. That is a truth of our faith. And that's something that those that live lives committed to apostolic celibacy for the kingdom, that they profess with their very selves, which is also why oftentimes in the priesthood and the religious life, those that are committed to this life of apostolic celibacy dress in an identifiable, noticeable way as a form of bearing witness that we don't just live for this world, that we live ultimately and find our true happiness ultimately in friendship with God, which will be fulfilled in heaven. And so we are living for that. And so we have to expose the lie, right? It's the lie that without all these different forms of gratification, you cannot be happy. You will not find fulfillment. And we call baloney on that, right? Absolutely. We, we know the truth that we are living for Almighty God, rejecting these core tenets of the sexual revolution. And so this living, this gift, of the sacrifice of chaste celibacy for the kingdom has certain effects, particularly considering in the priesthood. The first of those, and the way this should be lived, is a freedom 
first and foremost for God, St. Paul tells us, an unmarried man, right, someone living celibacy, is anxious about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. We should want from our bishops and our priests and our religious that their first priority is not how to pay the bills, how to keep people happy, right, how to get along, but first, growing in relationship with God, right? If I gave up marriage and family life just to manage a nonprofit in the city of New Britain, like, bad sacrifice, right? That's trading gold for a handful of beans. But if it instead is for the glory of God, for friendship with Jesus, to first and foremost be centered on him. And so what, as the Christian people, should we want from our priests and religious, above all, holiness, piety. We should affirm that. We should encourage it. We want priests, bishops, religious who pray, who spend time with God in prayer, giving themselves entirely over to God. Freedom for God. The second is freedom for mission. Second effect, to be totally free for mission, to be apostolic, Right? Our priests in particular are totally available. There is no other person who by natural tie has a right to my time and attention as the people of our parish. Right? I am totally available, as is Father Gutierrez. Right? We are totally available. We are free for mission to be apostolic. Not free so we could just watch Netflix all day and stay caught up, right? Not free so we could go on lavish vacations all the time. No, free for mission, to be radically available to whatever the needs of God's people are in this part of the state of Connecticut, in our parish community. Third, celibacy is founded not in some medieval tradition or whatever the, no, it's founded in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus lived a life of chaste celibacy, body and soul, given over to the Father. The priest, standing in the person of Christ in the holy sacrifice of the Mass, makes his own the words of Jesus. This is my body, given over for you. And by living and embracing a life of chaste celibacy, the priest makes for himself the reality of those words. It's Jesus' body given for us, but the priest, in union and identification with Christ, makes his own those words. So I can say, yes, my body, the body of Michael Casey, given for you, given for our people. It's not, it's the sacrifice of Jesus above all. But when we see our priests and when we see our religious, we should see they have been given, sacrificed for our holiness. That's the job of the priest to work for our holiness. And then when we see it, right, we should say, let's not make it when I am called to grow in personal holiness. Let's not make their sacrifice in vain, right? To the people of our parish, don't make my sacrifice be a sacrifice in vain. If I've given my body, my life, my love to Almighty God for your holiness, don't let it be in vain and don't let it be wasted. Your holiness is worth the price of my life. And so let's work to really try to grow in holiness. 
St. Paul says about the blood of Christ, we've been purchased at a great price, right? We have been purchased at a great price, the precious blood of our Lord Jesus. And so again, the priest making his own, the words of Christ, this is the chalice of my blood poured out for you and for many for the remission of sins. And then the final effect then of this gift is a real spiritual fatherhood. We call our priests father. It's a relationship. It's our priests, by not being natural fathers, are free to be spiritual fathers. That they really care for our souls. They are the dads of our souls, right? And so we want our priests to be good and available dads who will care for our souls. And so to live a life, when we call our priests father, it's an acknowledgement of that relationship. It's not just a title or a term or a formality. It's a relationship. When we call our priests father, we acknowledge that relationship of spiritual paternity. We acknowledge that, rela- that family relationship. And so we, we have that in our faith in a big way because of the reality of the gift of apostolic celibacy. Here's the last point, is that all of this, now as it relates to vocations to the priesthood, there is no evidence, no evidence, that abolishing celibacy and having priests get married will lead to more priests. Every other Christian denomination that has it, they study these things all the time. Every other Christian denomination per capita, does not have more clergy than the Catholic Church. It doesn't mean that we would have more clergy. And instead of praying and asking that the church change this gift that we've been given, and somehow, for these 2,000 years, it managed to not squander away, instead of wanting to get rid of it, why don't we pray for greater generosity? If this is a big sacrifice than those that are called to the priesthood, why don't we pray for a greater generosity to recognize the good of marriage, to recognize the good of family life, and to say, even this, I am willing to sacrifice for the holiness of the people of God. That more saints and more people brought to Christ is worth even the price of this. Rather than asking for the church to change, our hearts need to change and to be expanded. We need to pray for that expanding of generosity in in those called to this great vocation to the priesthood and to the religious life. So my friends, this is the gift of celibacy. It's something maybe we don't talk about a lot, which is why this homily went longer than most others, but it's something we need to know and we need to appreciate. This is a gem of our church. And if we rightly understand it, we rightly give thanks to God for this gift, we rightly affirm it in those that live it, and we pray for a generosity to those to whom God is, those whom God is calling to this life. Well, that gives tremendous life to the church. So that in a full flourishing of diversity of vocations and ways of living our holiness, each one of us can pursue the right and true paths to the kingdom of God.